You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. We're really glad you're here with us today. Happy Father's Day. For those of you who are perhaps fatherless or perhaps never had kids or just not that stage yet, it's kind of like Mother's Day where I know Father's Day could be a great moment of celebration or it could be a great moment of pain for some. So we're just gonna ask those where maybe Father's Day is not a highlight for you that you would just come along with the rest of us for today because we are in a series on the Psalms and uh, today we're gonna look at Psalm 127 in just a moment. And that is a Psalm that really speaks to parents in general, and specifically fathers. So we're just gonna look at that. We're gonna go everywhere the word of God goes. But before we open God's word, I thought, you know what I need to do is start the sermon with a couple of dad jokes. So what I did is I went through, my wife is here today, I don't know, honey, probably 50, 70, I don't know, dad jokes. And what I would do is I would tell the jokes and I would test whether they were decent based off whether or not my family laughed. Then I took out the ones that I probably shouldn't tell publicly in a message, not because they were um, crude, but because they had to do with bodily functions that I didn't think would come off well in a sermon. But middle school boys, they killed with middle school boys, let me just tell you. And so anyway, I narrowed it down to these few jokes, and perhaps you've heard them before, so save the punchline for the rest of us, but here we go. Ready? Here we go. So, did you know that 97% of people are stupid? Man, I am glad that I'm in the other 5%. (laughs) One of my sons got it immediately. The other one had to be explained to him. No math in Bible college. All right, so, so. Here's another one, ready? I accidentally gave my wife a glue stick instead of lipstick. She still isn't talking to me. (laughs) My wife didn't think that was as funny as I did. Anyway, do not try this at home. There's like an asterisk on this one. All right. Once upon a time, there was a king who was only 12 inches tall. It's my spirit twin. He was a terrible king, but he made a great ruler. Did you see it coming? Anybody see it coming? No? All right, all right. Well, after I got about 30 jokes in, the way that I determined if it was working or not was I looked at my wife. After every quasi-decent dad joke, she was working on something, so she was looking down, and I would tell it, and she would look up at me and give me a look that was something like this. So I knew, ooh, we're close. Now, on the ones that actually made her chuckle, she would try to be holding back a smile. And so it would be like, you know, it wasn't quite that bad, but she's trying to hold it back and I would laugh and I'd climb like, yes, I got her, right? Like every dad does. So this one was perfect. I married my wife for her looks. Just not the ones she's been giving me after telling all these jokes. So, all right. And the last one, last one, last one. My wife and I laugh all the time about how competitive we are, but I laugh more. Anybody? No? Anybody? All right, all right. Well, welcome to Kings. We're glad you're here. Now you got some really bad one-liners to go and you tell your family later on down the road today. So we're glad you're here. And we want you to do is we want to jump into today's text. Today's text comes out of Psalm 127. I want to encourage you to not open your Bible yet. Just listen for a minute. I'm going to read it to you. This is what we call a Psalm of Ascent. It's one of, I think it's 15 Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And what happened is, while David wrote, I think, four or five of these, Solomon wrote one, the one we're going to read today, and then we don't know who wrote the others. 
what happened is over time they were collected, over hundreds of years they were collected, and what happened is as it progressed, by the time we got to around Jesus' day and age, people would read these psalms on the way to the temple to worship God. And especially, it became a a pattern that they would climb the steps to the temple and they would read one psalm per step or recite out of memory one psalm per step. Most people didn't have a scroll. Most people couldn't read, but they had them committed to memory. And they would read a psalm per step. And each psalm kind of has a different theme. And it may not seem like much. Here's an actual look at those steps. So I got to go to Israel in February. And this is what the steps actually look like. Here is the uh, actual wall. I'll explain. I'll show you a different picture in a minute. But here's the steps. And so I, I took some time. I started doing this with one of the other pastors. We started climbing these steps and reading them. And then the uh, this portion of the tour was over. It's like, all right, everybody on the bus. We started reading like double speed and we still didn't get them all, but it totally took away the meaning. You could see some of the uh, newer steps they've added in here just to reinforce. And you kind of see some of the older portions. And it's just kind of crazy to think Jesus literally walked these steps. Now, if you zoom out and take a different picture here, see a different angle. This is actual steps down here. And then here's the wall. You may notice here, this portion looks different than this portion. And over here, what you can't see is there's a literal wall sticking out. So this is flat. There's a wall sticking out from this. And so you have this thing here. This is part of a gate that used to exist that's been closed up and over here. There was actually a double gate here. And this is how people would enter into the temple. They would ascend these steps and enter in. And it's since been closed off. And the reason I say that is it's just really kind of cool as you think about this psalm. It's one of the, what they call the Psalms of Ascent. If you have your Bible open, you would notice it says Psalm of Ascent. And they're ascending into the presence of God. So what we want to do is we just want to ascend into the presence of God. We're just going to read it. We're not going to study it yet. We'll get there in just a minute. And I don't want you to have your Bible out. I don't want you to stress about anything. We're not going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, which is the translation in front of you. But in a minute, I'm going to teach out of the New International Version. And I just want you to hear some of the words. And then I'll tell you why. Ready? Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. I remember uh, about eight years ago, church was in a hard place. My personal life was in a hard place. My mom was going through a second bout of cancer, and it was not going well. And I was working from sunup to sundown. Now, I wasn't literally working 24 hours a day, or it wasn't even just the sun hours. It's just every free minute, I was checking email. I was doing text messages. Rachel would constantly ask me, who is that? Who is that? Who is that? Rachel's my wife, (laughs) in case you're not sure. And uh, usually what I would do is I would try to be uh, present as a dad, but then uh, when the kids went to bed, I would do email or, or write sermons or respond to things that the elders needed me to respond to or whatever it might be. It was just a busy, busy season. And I say that because I remember one night in particular. I'll never forget it. My, uh, my youngest was just a babe at the time. He was born in 2014. 
And so my, I'd put the kids in bed. One of the ways I try to serve our family is um, most nights of the week, I put the kids in bed. My wife stayed home mom. By God's grace, we're able to do that. And she stays home and takes care of the kids. And this is one of the ways I give her a break, but also I get to connect with the kiddos. So I put my oldest in bed, and it was time to put my second one in bed. And uh, I don't know if anybody else's kids don't like going to bed, uh, but he really wanted my time and attention. And he was asking me all these questions. And he was just trying to get me to linger with him a little longer. And I knew what really was going on is it had been multiple weeks in a row where I was physically present, but emotionally, relationally absent. And what had started to happen was it was a slow fade. I didn't know it was coming. Is that actually just kind of started to fade in my walk with God as well. As a result of just being so busy, I just started sacrificing things that I felt like I could sacrifice. My own health, my time with God, even my health with my kids, Now, on the outside, you may have never noticed that. You may have never seen that. But inside, it was just this very slow progression away. When God had recently challenged me and encouraged me and said, hey, it's time to reprioritize things. So that night was the night I was going to start that. And my son just wanted more time, more time, more time with me. But I knew I was tired. I knew I had things I had yet to get done that needed to be done. I couldn't go to bed until they were done. And so I was trying to get out of the bedroom with my son and go downstairs and spend some time with God. And I just said, buddy, I got to go. I got to go. One more question. One more question. What are you going to do? I'm going to go spend some time with God. But what are you going to do when you get down there? I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. What are you going to read? And honestly, I didn't know. I was kind of in between stuff. And I didn't know. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, all right, one more question. One more question. One more question. So finally, I leave the room. And I feel guilty. I'm going downstairs, but I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm walking away. My son needs me. But the reality is I feel guilty because I'm not, I'm not really managing my life well. That's the big issue. So I go downstairs. I sit on the couch. And I did this thing I tell people never to do. I don't recommend you do this. And I grabbed my Bible, and I just went, God, I need to hear from you today, but I don't even know what I need to hear. I'm too tired to even decide. Like, I, would you just, I'm just going to open my Bible, and whatever you tell me to read, I'm going to read it. And I, I, the reason I encourage people not to do this is I've done this probably, I don't know, 50 times in my life, even though I tell people not to do it, in like three, five times ever has it ever produced fruit, okay? And this was one of them. And so I opened my Bible, and it just happened to fall open, and the very first thing that caught my eye was Psalm 127. And I read it, and it's funny because I don't ever remember reading it up to then, although I'm sure I had. It was like a uh, fresh wind in my life. And God used it to begin to say something to me that, Matt, you can't change all the things you want to change. You don't have the power, the resources, or the ability. What you have is me, and I am enough. So don't lose sight of what's most important. But I don't know if you know this or not, everything worth fighting for unbalances your life. Have you noticed that? Doesn't matter if it's your money, your friends, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your job, your hobbies, which you don't really want to let go of, your health, everything worth fighting for unbalances your life. Because what we envision is some perfect scenario, right? Like imagine up here I have some sort of like stick, right? And if you could find that perfect middle, you could, you could rest that stick right there on your finger. And it'd be like, if this was life, just look at everybody and say, don't move. All right, nobody mess up. <laughs> nobody do anything different. I finally have life balanced. But is life ever like that? People get sick. COVID happens. Inflation happens. Business stuff happens. Car accidents happen. Kids get out of control. Families get out of control. 
You, opportunities come. Oh man, I didn't know those tickets were gonna come up for free. I didn't know that this sport was gonna spill over an extra three times, you know, whatever it is. I didn't think the kids could actually win in the playoffs and we'd have to go to 18 more games, whatever it might be, right? Life happens, and when it does, things become unbalanced because now you gotta move the direction of the thing. And the only way, the only way that life stays manageable is you move the direction that God is telling you to move. And he becomes the counterbalance that makes it work. He provides the weights on the other end so that life stays in balance. And that's why Psalm 127 and the NIV says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. This will make more sense when we get to verse five, which we will get to in a moment. But this is very, very, very simple. Solomon, who wrote this, is just trying to say, you can work as hard as you want for as long as you want. If God is not at the center of it, it will not matter. Jesus tells a story later in the Gospels, and he says, a man who builds his house upon the rock, he finds that it's solid. But a man who builds his house upon the sand, he finds that it's not. So when the winds blow and the rain comes, the man who built his house on the rock, though all the craziness is happening around him, his house will stand firm. But the man who builds his house on the sand, when the wind blows and the storm comes, he doesn't have a strong foundation and everything collapses underneath him. And the whole idea here is, are you building your house? Are you building your family? Are you building your life on God himself? If you are, then you're not wasting your time. You're not laboring in vain. I love this. Uh, John Mark Comer and the Ruthless Elimination Hurry, by the book. He says this, attention is the beginning of devotion. God desires to be first and foremost in your life. And the way that God gets to be first in our life is he gets our attention. And then we have to prioritize, balance our life around the things that are most important from there. So what's next most important in our life? Well, God has given you family. I don't know if you know this or not. He's given you children. He's given you kids so that you can follow him into whatever he's got next. But you know what he also gave you in life? Your job. You know what he also gave you in life? Your resources. Do you know what he also gave you in life? Your friends. All of it is a gift from God. So we have to give our attention to the most important things first so that everything else finds its place. Jesus says it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. In other words, is life really just about the accumulation of experiences? No, life is so much more than that. But who is guarding your life? He goes on and he gives this great illustration. He says, have you ever looked at the birds? Do the birds look stressed to you? They wake up in the morning, what's the first thing they do? They start singing. Then they get to work, what do they do? They immediately go around looking for worms and food. They bring it back to the little ones, they feed the little ones, and they get back to singing. Then he said, look at the flowers in the field. Have you ever noticed, especially this time of the year, you've got all these oranges and reds and yellows, and look at the green stalks. Oh, just beautiful, beautiful stuff, right? 
God makes sure that all these flowers are clothed. In fact, he says they are more beautiful than Solomon and all of Solomon's splendor. He had all this money. He went out and bought all the colors of the world, which I know for us today is normal. But in that day and age, you didn't have very many options. And Solomon, he made sure he had lots of options. He got really good at trading with the rest of the world. And Solomon and all his splendor wasn't nearly as beautiful as the flowers of the fields. So then Jesus says, if God takes care of birds and flowers, and they are going to be burned up whenever this whole world fades away, but you, you're going to live eternally. So you must be more precious. How much more so will he take care of you? So he says in verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need In other words, God's watching your life. He's really saying what Psalm 127 says in his own words. Unless the Lord builds a house, a man, a woman labors in vain. You're wasting your time unless God is building it. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, so seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So if I reprioritize my life and I make sure the main thing, what is the main thing? God is the main thing. How do I make sure the main thing stays the main thing? I don't know. For you, it may be different than me. But somehow, I have to make sure that my priorities are arranged or rearranged around him. Is that true for you? Is your job, is your kid's sports, is your hobby, are anything taking place over God himself? And if so, what do you need to do to flip that around? Because, man, I'm telling you, the storms are going to come. The wind is going to blow. And when it does, will your life be built on him? So I guess you could ask yourself this question. Is God first in my life? Is God first? And if not, rather than feel beat up, don't feel beat up. Wives, this would be a great time to keep your elbow to yourself. Like, if your elbow is sore, stop it. But if you're not where you need to be, don't feel beat up. Just say, okay, what would I need to do different to make sure that God is first in my life? Solomon goes on, verse two. In vain, you rise early and you stay up late toiling for food to eat. For he, that's God, grants sleep to those he loves. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse. Did you know that when God made the entire world, he created Adam and Eve He put him in this beautiful garden. He did all the work. At this time, there were no thorns or thistles or anything that would make a garden hard work. It was just fun work. And he put him in the garden and he said, all right, guys, that was on day uh, (coughs) six. Excuse me. Here we are. Day seven. You know what we're going to do today? Nothing. We're just going to chill. We're going to relax. We're going to enjoy the day. You're like, what do you mean we're going to enjoy the day? We're just going to enjoy the day. But we just got here. I know. It's because I've been doing all of the work. And I'm going to take care of you. So today we're going to set one day aside for you two to be together, enjoy what I've made, and enjoy me. That's it. That's what? That's what we're going to do. Did you notice that in the very, very beginning, it says that, and then there was evening, and then there was morning the first day, then the second day, then the third day. We're going to talk about the creation story in about a, about a month here. I'm excited to kind of walk through it and help you put some handles on it. But in this whole idea is God begins every day with rest. See, in America, we get up, and the first thing we do is we grab our phones, because that's usually our alarm clock, right? We start looking at the emails or the social medias or the texts or whatever the things that came in is. We got to deal with them all. Like, how are we going to manage it all? And God flipped the order. He's like, don't start your day after you rest and then wear yourself out and then go to sleep. Start your day with rest. 
And so in the very beginning, it was evening, and then it was morning. It's like, whoa, it just blew my mind. Because God gave you rest. Rest was God's idea. And the problem that we have is that we either aren't working hard enough, we aren't playing hard enough, or we aren't resting hard enough. But there is not enough time in the day to do all three. You're going to have to put them in non-neat boxes that allow you to get done the things that need to be done. The assumption here is that you're overworking. The reason Solomon wrote this in Psalm 127 is because he's saying, hey, stop overworking. The assumption is you're working hard and you need reminded to not work so hard. But for some people, and at least I continue to hear this from certain business owners in our church, for some people that's not the case. And they're like, I can't find hard workers. And so for you, you may not need to walk away from this sermon going, this is what I need. I need more rest time. I need more fun time. God's word said so. Well, God's word first assumed you were working too hard. So that's where we got to start. And then from there, we course correct and go, now wait a minute, let's back off a little bit. Here's a little saying I came up with years ago to help me kind of figure out how I'm doing. Here it is, ready? It's simple as all get up. When working, work hard. When playing, play hard. And when resting, rest hard. And don't confuse the three. What tends to go wrong, and this, again, it's big picture, big picture. I get it. You got a million problems, you don't know how to solve them. I don't know how to solve them either. I'm trying to solve my own problems. But here's what I know. When we go to work and we're playing, Work spills over into playtime. When we go to work and we're unfocused because we stayed up too late the night before playing on our phone or doing something we weren't supposed to be doing, we we're supposed to be resting, should we show up at work and we don't have our best to bring to our work environment? Then what happened is the thing we were supposed to be doing before is spilling over into the thing we're doing now. So then when we get home, we're supposed to be playing and enjoying each other or whatever it might be. All of a sudden we're working because we didn't get it all done. And then if that happens, we find ourselves exhausted but too busy, so now we're trying to play too late into the evening because we don't feel relationally connected, so we don't know how to turn it off. So then what happens is we're sitting in front of our TVs or our iPads or our cell phones or our tablets or our computers or whatever it might be, and we're FOMOing it out, right? You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out? You know what that is, right? And so what happens is you're staying too engaged because you're just afraid I'm going to miss something. I just want you to think back over the last five years of your life. If you were to skip half of the TV or social media or internet searching that you did, would your life be any worse? And I know you know the answer, but tonight when it's time, aren't you going to be tempted to pull up your whatever and play around and mess around and waste life? So when you're working, work hard, but then put it in a box and go home and trust that God is building that house. Trust that God is building your job. Trust that God is going to give you what you need. And all that stress and the anxiety, all that worry you feel about whether or not you're gonna have enough or you're gonna be enough, or you're gonna succeed enough, trust that you giving your best to those hours that God is gonna manage it for you. And then you can walk away and hand it to him and say, I don't know how it's gonna work out, God, but I am trusting you. You told me you care, so I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna come home and I'm play because it's time to play. And that's why he says in verse three, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. The whole point is go play with your kids. That's it. You're working so hard to make sure everything works out, but you're missing one of God's greatest gifts. Now, I realize kids may not always feel like a reward. Rumor has it some kids can be difficult. Rumor has it you were once one of those kids. I get it, right? I get it. 
But the whole idea here is God didn't just give you these kids so that they could raise themselves or someone else could raise them. God gave you these kids so that you could raise them. They could be part of your story in this world. I read a book years ago by a guy named Peter Schizero, pastor, he's now retired, and he has a ministry called the, uh, the Emotionally Healthy Church, I think it was what he calls his ministry. That was the book that I read. He's wrote a number of books. And he had this one chapter in this book, and it was on the gift of limitations. And he was challenging us to enjoy the gift of limitations. And here's how the story looked for him. He said there came a point in his marriage where he was bitter at his wife. And the reason he was bitter is because he believed she was holding him back from all the things he could be doing for God. She was always wanting him to spend more time, to do more things, whatever, with the family and the kids or whatever. But meanwhile, he's getting all these requests to go and speak in all these places. All these people want him to write all these books and do all these things. And if he had a different family, if he had a different wife, one who's maybe more organized or qualified in these ways or that ways, he'd be able to do so much more for God. She and they were holding him back. And some of you hear that and you go, I get exactly how he feels. And others of you hear that go, that is a jerk. He would agree with those of you now who thought he was a jerk. It came to a head one day when his wife finally said, I'm done. I'm not good enough. I can't please you. I don't want to live this life anymore. And he went, wait a minute. How did we get here? So it began a long, painful counseling process for him to dig in and find out what was going on in him and this drive and why he really was doing it all. But he finally realized, I started seeing the gifts God gave me as things that were holding me back instead of things that were hemming me in to focus my life. Your spouse, whether you're a wife and this is your husband or whether you're a husband and this is your wife, your kids, your situation, they are gifts from God. And they are gifts in order created to focus you. So if The gifts that God has given you means that there are certain things you can't do. Instead of seeing that as a curse that they are preventing you from, see it as God saying, I didn't want you to do that anymore. Or I never wanted you to do it that way. I don't want your life to look like the life of the person you keep seeing on Instagram. I'm not wanting you to be the next TikTok star. I'm wanting you to raise your family. I'm wanting you to have your job. I'm wanting you to use your gifts, your talents, your finances, your resources. How do you become the you that God intended for you to be? And when you learn to do that, all of a sudden, these things are not things holding me back. They're things that are directing me. And I gotta tell you, this is one of the hardest principles, especially for men, but women also, to get. I'm not trying to be anybody else just trying to do the thing that God has called me to do because there I'll find happiness and peace and joy and meaning and my purpose for being here. That's why Solomon goes on and he says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. We're gonna unpack this more when we get to verse five. Stick with me for a second. But the analogy he wants you to get is, you picture an archer, right? And he's got that thing, you know, the Robin Hood thing on his back and he's got the quiver in the back and the quiver's full of arrows and he keeps pulling it out. Now, what is he pulling out? Children, which is a really weird analogy, but you got to stick with the analogy, right? Like, shoot that. Yeah, I'd like to shoot that thing sometimes. Anyway, so you, what is he trying to say? You think you're going to battle against your enemy. 
You think you're managing the wall is your task. You think that is the thing that is the most important. But what you don't understand is the very thing, your greatest weapon, your greatest resource, your greatest thing that you're going to do is what's back here. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will go on and say, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Why? Because when I have fully trained, when I have fully raised up this thing and I launch it out, I will be multiplying God's wisdom, God's experience, my faith in God into this world. All of a sudden, I've taken myself and I've multiplied it to two or three or one or four or five or ten. Oh, God, help you if it's ten. Whatever the number might be. But that'll never happen if I don't ever train that thing. I love the way John Mark Comer puts this again. He says, put another way. The mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for those who, apprentices of Jesus, who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in his world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotionally charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. Again, we become what we give our attention to for better or worse. Where is your attention going? For me, years ago, I had to make this established priority. God has to be first. So if my wife and my kids should choose not to follow God, and by God's grace, that is not the case. But should they choose not to, it changes nothing of my focus. Now, I do not always do this well. I'm constantly trying to figure this out. And I'm so thankful that God has given me an amazing wife, partner, my wife, that she really teaches our kids so much more about God than I do at times because she's home with them all day and she's doing devotions, reading the Bible with them, that kind of thing. But God is first, period. So if our lives are drifting, first thing we get right is we get right with God. We focus there. The second thing is, is my wife, not my family, my wife. She was before the kids, she'll be after the kids. This is hard for certain um, families of certain nationalities because it's not the way you were raised. But my first commitment is to my wife. This is why the Bible says a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. Because the whole idea is, man, I'm raising these three little boys and I expect them to leave our home one day and I hope they stay really, really, really connected to us. But one day I hope they get married and they will have a new commitment there. That's why the next thing on the list is my kids. And then the next thing is my church. So y'all come after them, but I don't get to ignore any of these things. God has given me the responsibility of my wife, my kids, my church, and my community, and the sports that my kids play and the people that we meet there. God has given me these responsibilities. So I have to figure out how to put it in a blender and blend it up. And it means sometimes that I have to shift based off what God is calling me to do. And I do that when I'm doing it right by talking to my wife and saying, we've got this opportunity. You've got this opportunity. How do we make these things fit in the schedule, not burn out the family? And I will tell you, we get it wrong probably almost as much as we get it right. But we keep seeking God. That's how our house stands. 
What about you? Psalm 127, verse five. Let me read it to you and unpack it. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. You may notice this translation sounds different than the New Living that I read. Well, if you have an ESV or an NASB or King James, there's various ways that this gets translated because it's hard. And the translators are trying to bring meaning to what is written in the Hebrew. But you may see things like enemy. You may see things like gates. And there's two possibilities, but they both mean the same thing. So here, let me say what the both possibilities are. Number one, remember, we started at verse one talking about city gates. And unless the Lord builds a house, a man labors in vain, then we end at city gates. And the whole idea here is, and option one, is when you are raising your children, you are raising future warriors. So if you think your only job is to stand on the wall, imagine a big wall. Remember, a big wall goes around the city of Jerusalem. Your only job is to stand at the wall and protect what's inside from what's coming at them. You're missing the point because in the future, you're going to need these things to be standing on the wall with you. They are the future. That's a really powerful analogy. Option B is it has to do with at the gates, it was common. And we have a couple stories in the Old Testament where this actually happened. If you needed to do legal business, especially with, say, a family member, you would meet him at the gate. We see this in sometimes what's called the uh, kinsman redeemer principle. And if you wanted to redeem a family member, I don't have time to unpack all that, you'd meet him at the city gate, you'd hold court. You'd literally do your business there. And sometimes you might need more than one witness and you might need other people to mediate between you. And so it was a place where the hard conflicts from your opponents, possibly even your enemies, were worked out there at the city gates. And so if that's what he has in mind, what he's saying is, now when you end up going to the city gates, this is a family affair a lot of ways. Israel is one nation birthed out of 12 kids, right? This is a family affair. So imagine now a person who has a quiver full of people who are coming alongside him as testifying on his behalf, who are there to talk about his character and his integrity and to say this is who he is because he's left a legacy. He doesn't go alone. Now, it doesn't matter which analogy Solomon is actually trying to paint. The whole idea is the same. If you do your job today, no matter how exhausting it is and how much it wears you out, over time, you will have raised up a generation of quality people who will follow in your footsteps and will be able to battle the enemy along with you. But if you do not pay attention to this, what will the future look like? And far too many of you today were raised in homes where you were on the back of a man who wasn't giving the time and attention needed. Why not be different today? And if that is your story, why not offer the grace to your dad that you as a dad desperately need? I didn't say this last service, so I'm saying it now, but I, when I was a kid, I thought my dad had all the answers because he told me what to do. Then I became a dad and I realized either my dad didn't have any answers or I was a really bad dad. And I figured out, wow, this thing is just hard, isn't it? And I've read a lot of books. In fact, I thought I was gonna be amazing at this because I read all the books. 
In fact, I was a youth pastor before this, so I taught everybody what the book said. And then I had kids, and I went, <laughs> all that stuff in books doesn't mean anything until you're doing it yourself, and then you realize, I don't know what I'm doing. And I get it right some days, and I get it wrong some days, and some days I look at my kids, and here's the phrase I use in my home all the time, there is enough grace in our home for all of your worst moments and worst days. When one of my kids messes up and says, Daddy, I'm sorry, I say, you know what, buddy? I love you. There's enough grace in our home. And there's enough grace for me. There's enough grace for your mama. You know she needs it. Love you. And I'll pay for that one later. It's Father's Day. But there's enough grace in our home for everybody's worst moment. Dads, there's enough grace in God for your worst moment. Moms, there's enough grace in God for your worst moments. Get right what needs to be right and let God build your house. Here's my encouragement to you. We have a prayer card out there. You can find this in the app. I just wanna ask you to pray this prayer to God every day till next Sunday. I'll give you a new prayer. Look, these are my words. You, you could take some of this, none of this, all of this. I don't care. The point is this is a guide to help you. Here's the prayer, ready? Father, I know that you care about my health, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, relational. Where's your stress point? Man, pick whichever one or two or three is your stress point and just pray that to him. Pray specifically. Help me. Help me to prioritize my life and find more balance around the areas that are really struggling right now. Teach me today to trust that you are building my house and that I do not need to overcommit myself for things to work out okay. Lord, grant me the peace that allows me to rest in the evening and to awake alive and refreshed in the morning and to count my family as one of your many blessings that are worthy of my time and attention. With that in mind, what I want to do now is give you time to talk to God, okay? So pull out your communion cups. And here's what I want you to do with that. You ready? This bread and this juice, the bread, if you're visiting with us, represents the body of Jesus on the cross. The juice represents the blood of Jesus poured out for us. Now, we talk about there's enough grace and mercy in God. This is literally the moment we're looking at. God has more than enough grace and mercy for us in our hour of need. So as you take this bread of juice, if there's any guilt or shame you're feeling, just take it to him and say, God, thank you. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, my worst days are not my last days. But then if you need help, God, give me the strength. Give me the courage. Give me the wisdom. James says, God loves to give wisdom. And he says, oh, this one struck me a few years ago. It wrecked me, guys. I, said, ah, I don't have time for a whole other sermon. But it says in James, if we ask God for wisdom, he will graciously give it to us without finding fault. God is not looking to point a finger at everything you did wrong. He's just looking to help solve the problem. So if you need wisdom, just go to him right now and say, God, I don't even know how to fix this problem. I don't even know what to do. But trust God does. I'm gonna start a prayer and then I'll just hand it to you. You take communion when you're ready and you... Just lean in, lean in. Oh God, we love you. God, I thank you. I thank you for the little one right now that we hear crying. You know why, God? Because that little one is a, 
as an arrow in someone's quiver. God, thank you. Fill this church with little crying ones. Fill our homes. God, for the parents and grandparents in this room, Lord, I pray that you would equip them. Give them wisdom. Meet them right now. Pour out your grace and your mercy. Lead them, God, in your loving kindness. Reveal your will and your ways. God, if anybody in here feels discouraged, God, take that away. Do not let the enemy have that place in them. Build them up. Nobody needs to feel ashamed, but God, give us marching orders. If we're not doing something we're supposed to be doing, God, right now, course correct us. Thank you, God, for your word that corrects us and rebukes us in love. But God, give us a path forward because some of us, we don't know how to fix the problem that sits in front of us and we feel stuck and helpless sometimes hopeless. So God, help us. Meet us right now. Give us a word so convicting, God, that we walk away knowing we heard from you. We ask this in Jesus' name.